Welcome to Terminal Value. So everything I do here at Terminal Value is based around one big question, and that is how do growth-oriented people transform their business and their life to achieve world-class levels of value in everything they do? That is the question, and I am here to bring you the answers. My name is Doug Utberg, and this is Terminal Value. I publish new podcast episodes five times per week. So make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any content. And also make sure to follow me on social. You can just look for the Doug Utberg handle. Please comment and let me know your thoughts. I'm looking forward to working together so that we can make your life amazing. Welcome to the Terminal Value Podcast. We have Bessie Graham with us today. That's with BessieGram.com, B-E-S-S-I-G-R-A-H-A-M.com. And what we're going to be talking about today is setting your business apart by creating a win-win. And so one of the things that we were talking about in the pre-show is the idea of being profitable and still doing good for the world at the same time. And that's a little bit of a play on the idea of a win-win as a mutually beneficial transaction, which... I mean, truthfully, they're all inside the same circle. But anyway, Bessie, don't let me talk too much here. Please introduce yourself. Sure. I, uh, Bessie Graham, I'm based in Melbourne, Australia. You might uh, recognize a slightly different accent there. <laughs> and uh, I've worked all over the world for over 20 years now, really looking at this exact piece yeah. of, of what is that win-win? What is the role of business to yeah. actually do more than just create profit for shareholders or, yeah. you know, generate profit, but actually say, what does business bring to the world and how can that create something that is both beneficial for those business owners or shareholders, but also makes the world a better place in the process. So for me, that journey has been on two quite different ends of a spectrum. One is I've worked with yeah. hundreds of founders and entrepreneurs at the level of business owners, and then also working with governments and huge funding bodies internationally to figure out how we create those environments where business can actually flourish but yeah. with the mindset that starts to bring these things back together of doing good and making money, not being mutually exclusive, but actually designing the business model that where those things reinforce each other. And as you make more money, you're actually having a positive impact in the world. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I'm fond of saying in this realm is that this actually is not as new an idea as a lot of people like to think. So because, of course, in my heart of hearts, I'm a big economist nerd. And so I'm the only person I know who has read Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations from cover to cover without being required to in a classroom. I did it for fun. And so but a lot of people know Adam Smith, Wealth of Nations, capitalism, you know, trade, segmentation of labor, etc., a lot of people know that, but what they don't know is that Adam Smith also wrote a book called The Theory of Moral Sentiments that he intended for everybody who read The Wealth of Nations to have also read The Theory of Moral Sentiments. So capitalism and the idea of capitalism was not meant to exist in a moral vacuum. That is what is a contemporary notion. The intent that Adam Smith ultimately had was that mutually beneficial transaction is actually a way to drive an increased betterment for all of mankind and that it should be done inside of a moral wrapper and not completely separated from it. So with that said, that is my very long way of saying that I completely support what you're talking about. I'm 100% aligned with it. And I don't think that it is where the world is moving toward. I think it's what the moving world is moving back toward. 
Hallelujah. I completely agree. I always say to people when we have these conversations, it's about going back to the roots of business. This yes. is not new. And I completely agree with you. I think in all of these approaches, yeah. it's that human nature to become simplistic and jump to extreme. So we read something or we have grown up with some unconscious idea and we take it as this zero-sum game, that it's all or yeah. nothing. And yet, as you said, the great thinkers, even if you go back to the ancient Greeks and the concept of polis, which was a partnership for living well, all of these mm-hmm. things are deeply human and have been yeah. part of how we do commerce trade since humans yeah. have been operating in that world. So I agree with you that I think it really is about saying, taking off some of that nervousness of, oh, is this completely new and is it proven and is it risky as a business to yeah. go down this road? It's saying, no, it is absolutely at the heart and the root of how business has operated. Yeah, well, because I think the the thing that has, I think that has, has created a lot of the moral hazard that we see in relatively recent contemporary business is what happened was you had industrial consolidation, I think, that took commerce away from like a person to person type of situation. So, you know, think, okay, you know, if you live in a, say, a colonial town, I'm thinking in terms of an American colonial town, although an Australian colonial town might be similar, say, you know, that has about, I don't know, a couple few thousand people in it. I go, okay, and let's say that you're a tailor or a blacksmith. I go, okay, well, all right. Well, okay, let's say that I'm a tailor and you're a blacksmith or vice versa. All right. Well, okay. So in that case, you know, if I'm creating and selling you a piece of equipment for your shop and I cut corners or I say, okay, well, somebody else offered me a higher price. So I'm going to sell to them and then tell you that I'm running into a delay, which is a disturbing amount of a lot of the supply chain delays right now as people are getting better offers. You know, if I do any of the kind of gray area shady things like that, it'll come back to bite me pretty quickly because I have to look you in the eye every single day as I you know, go through town, as I go shopping, when we go to religious services on Sunday, when you're in a small town, I can't get away from you. And if I transact it in an unethical way, I'm going to have to live with that. Now, yeah. let's take this to another way, right? When you're on a multinational global stage, you have people making a decision at the 50th floor of a building who never, ever, ever actually see anybody that's impacted by their decisions. And I think that's where business loses its soul. And so I think it's probably not feasible to unwind industrialization, but we have to get a soul back to business. Otherwise we end up at an extremely bad place. Yeah. And I think with all of these pieces, it's about, because as you said, we can't just have this romantic notion of going back to small towns and where there's this deep relationship between every bank manager and the customer. But what we can do is become more conscious of these things because it's all Mm -hmm. about the mindset and the approach that you take to things. And the example you gave is a perfect one. And we saw that play out when we had massive issues in the financial space, which really is about that disintermediation. So there's this disconnect Uh between any relationship or responsibility and seeing the consequences of your decisions and your actions. And for me, the That is at the heart of where the power of business comes in terms of if we want to start to not see good as the responsibility of the charitable sector or philanthropy or other things, but to say, no, what Mm -hmm. is the role of business? Because we play such an incredibly central role in society. It's about each of us taking responsibility for the decisions we do have control over, whether that is our supply chain or how we treat our staff or how we interact with customers and the quality of what we provide. The things that are within our control as business owners, 
that's where it be. The thinking has to take place. And as you said, Mm -hmm. even if you don't directly have that contact or feedback of what's happening, you can seek that out and you can become conscious of what is the flow and effects of the decisions we are making as a massive organisation. That's still possible. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is where it comes back to our original topic, which is where, you know, the win-win or the creating value while still doing good for the overall society. And incidentally, as I've gotten older, I've actually really come to value this a little more because, you know, of course, you know, when when I was younger, you know, I was very much a free market libertarian. I'm like, okay, well, you know, just leave the businesses alone. Then, you know, they'll take care of it. It'll all sort itself out. That's the way that you maximize wealth creation. And the thing is that is correct. That is how you maximize wealth creation. The problem is if you have too large a group of people who are unable to attend to their relatively basic needs, then you will eventually have broad civil chaos that will basically tear down, that will tear out the roots that, you know, the foundation roots that let you have a free market system in the first place. I mean, and so I think that not only is what we're talking about really a nice, good, warm, fuzzy feeling type of thing, it's actually really necessary for the perpetuation of a wealth creating system. Absolutely. And I think that it's important to kind of distinguish too that in those systems where we end up saying, just leave business alone, it'll sort itself out, don't intervene yeah. in any way, that is actually naive and romanticizing things as well, because it's ignoring the fact that as systems grow and, and consequences evolve, there are different things incentivized. So if yeah. we go back to the fact that the current thinking around the role of business is actually quite a modern, you know, it's a yeah. very small slice of time where we've had those thoughts. As those of us trying to run businesses and set ourselves apart and operate um, at that global scale, it's important to actually question some of those things and say, okay, hang on, the current thinking around business, who is that serving to keep that status quo? It's serving a very small group of people, but anyone who's wanting to think bigger and wanting their business to actually be have that differentiator, part of our work is to think at a bigger level of a system and go, okay, what are the long-term effects of this? How is this playing out? How would I actually de-risk my business moving forward and make sure I don't get myself into a position where what might be profitable in the short term actually has really detrimental effects on the business growth and profitability long-term? And so I think it's this piece, and and I know that in your work, you refer to mental models and different things. And and for me, one of those pieces I love around mental models is Sengi's work and the idea of his five disciplines. And that fifth discipline, which most people want to jump to when they're growing a business or wanting to Uh operate globally, is saying, you know, I'm a systems level thinker. I'm a system, I play at a systems level. Yeah. We can't jump to number five in the system without having in place the first four disciplines, which is personal mastery, mental models, shared vision, and team learning. Those pieces build to your ability to operate at a systems level. And so this thinking, the mindset, the mental models you bring are all part of what allows you to design a business that's capable of standing out in that way Mm -hmm. and to do it in a way that honors both of the components that you're trying to address rather than picking either or. You know, so for me, my podcast is called Both And. There's a reason why you have to think in a way that says, no, this isn't an either or option. Yeah. I need to design for both things. 
Well, and I think a different way that I would articulate a very similar idea is, you know, I think that there's a lot of thinking, particularly in the Western world, but, you know, just in general, I think in what I would call a zero sum or a win-lose type of philosophy, you know, basically the idea, and, you know, we get this from playing sports, right? You know, you know, when you play any sport except for soccer, somebody wins and somebody loses. Sorry, the American in me just can't stand the idea of ties. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, I'm sorry, 30-second tangent. Slightly competitive, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, but like, you know, 30-second tangent, a number of years ago, I think, you know, my wife's cousin was really excited because the USA got into a tie with Mexico. And I'm like, okay, let me just get this straight. You're getting excited over a tie. Completely off subject. So I'm going to go back on subject. Anytime that you get into what they call zero sum or somebody has to win, somebody has to lose. Then what ends up happening then is that anytime you're in that frame, then you getting ahead results in somebody else getting behind. And I think that that's actually, that frame is what I think has well, that's really what class warfare is based on, is the idea that, okay, there are some people who have done exceptionally well, that must necessarily mean that in order for them to do, do well, other people have to be oppressed. Well, sometimes it's the case, but it doesn't have to be that way. And I yes. think that's the mindset shift that we're trying to influence here. Exactly. And it's starting to realize that that zero sum piece or the black and white aspects of our thinking is intellectually lazy. And so yeah. I would just challenge anyone who is saying they want to run a business, grow a business, and really operate at that next level, you can't be intellectually lazy. Like yeah. you need to think bigger and differently. And having that sense of just simplistically flipping to one extreme or the other is yeah. a cop-out. So you can't be having those grand visions of who you are and what your organisation is capable of unless you actually step up and think bigger. And it's absolutely about realising that if you design out what that growth path looks like for you and you realise in achieving the goal in that way, yeah. we have fallen into the trap of it's all about profit. We've completely ignored our supply chain. We've burnt out our staff. We've delivered a pretty lame product to a customer yeah. that is not actually of any quality. If you realize any of those pieces are in the mix, then you need to say, oh, we haven't finished designing yet. Like we've got to go back to the design and say, mm -hmm. what can we change? How do we create something that is actually achieving both of those things? Now, equally, what I am not saying is that you need to go down a path that is all about the doing good piece and, and it, you're going broke in the process, right? So if you find yourself at either place where it doesn't stack up, the work as leaders that we need yeah. to do is to design it differently and to go, okay, yeah. how could I think about this from a different angle and then come at it in that way that says my work is not done until I have created the win-win. It reminds me, this is a long time ago now, but I remember I was listening to a podcast it was about, and they were talking about a number of people who worked at an organic farm and they were talking about, you know, about how they were, how sustainable they were for the environment and all the good they were doing for the community. And then they ended up running out of money. And yeah. then at the end they were saying, they said, they go, oh, well, but in order for us to really be able to do good for the environment, we have to be able to stay in business. Yes. See, and there's the different ways to look at sustainability. If you're a mission-driven organization, you still have to be able to stay in business. If you're a profit-driven organization, you still need to be generating net real positive value for both your clients and for your vendors. 
And exactly. I think that, you know, a lot of people, they think about it from the client side, but, you know, because, you know, my first 20 years of my career were in tech and, you know, finance, IT program management. Let me tell you, you would not believe how much some of these companies beat up their vendors. There are many who are unconcerned at all about the health of their vendors, which of course is short-sighted because then eventually, you know, big surprise, but you drive vendors out of business, you have consolidation in your supply base. All of a sudden you're dependent on a really small number of enormous vendors. And then anytime there's a crunch, like what we're seeing at the time of this recording, they'll prioritize the people who where they get the best margins and you may end up getting left out in the cold. Yeah. But Which of course, by then it's of too late to do thinking. anything about it. Yes. And yet you thought in the way you were operating that you were running the business well because yes. you were driving prices down and you were being more profitable. But again, this is that piece of actually to lead well and to lead at the level we're talking, you need to have a different sense of time frame, and you need to be looking at all of those factors. Now, yeah. it will look different for every yeah. business. The components yeah. that you need to focus on will be specific to your business, but it's about yeah. looking at that and saying, where do we have those decision-making rights? So what am I making decisions over? Where yeah. are we spending the most money? What does that look like? And just having a, a bit more of the consciousness of what those flow-on yeah. effects are. And that's the case, as you said, whether you're running a yeah. business that is more focused on the social side or has traditionally been yeah. focused on the profit. When I was running the program management office, one of the conversations I used to have with finance, because of course, we would look into vendor contract, you're always saying, oh, can we do this for less money? And what I would always say is I go, okay, well, look, I don't begrudge our vendors the chance to make money. What I care about is whether we're going to get value or not, because if we get value, it will almost certainly be a very large multiple of whatever we pay. If we don't get value, it doesn't matter how cheap we get the service, it's still going to be negative. So Let's focus on making sure that we get value out of it. And then, you know, just make sure that you pay a fair price, right? You know, I don't want to get gouged, but I don't expect people to make, take a loss on my business because that's that then it's not sustainable for them. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see. So we've really unpacked this here. What should I have asked you that I didn't? What, you know, are there any ideas haven't unpacked yet that we should have? Well, I think, I mean, you, you touched on the idea of with the example of someone running the organic farm yeah. and uh -huh. some of the notions that people have often around, okay, if someone has become wealthy or a business is incredibly successful, they must have got there by someone else losing. Yeah. And I think that piece is just something worth people sitting with and thinking a little bit more about of what are those unconscious aspects of where we have taken on board yeah. ideas around wealth or those who have done well that make us either uncomfortable with that. And so it means we're not actually building the business as profitably and as well as we could, because mm. there's this unconscious discomfort with what success or wealth means. Yeah. But equally, it can be that the, the piece around being more conscious of the just that role of what our mindset and what those fundamental beliefs about whether it is the aspect of commerce or the economy, like what are our underlying bias or motivations? What are those beliefs? And I think that mm -hmm. that piece for anybody who is actually seeking to grow and build something that does really stand up in a global market and it has that category of one type status the more conscious you become of all of those things that you may have not questioned before, the more you will be able to then really intentionally design and grow a business that you can be proud of in all senses. 
Excellent. That's awesome. Well, Bessie, I really, really appreciate your time today. Okay. So let us know where people should go to learn more. I mean, of course, there's your website, BessieGram.com, B-E-S-S-I-G-R-A-H-A-M.com. But if there's any other places we can go, let's say subscribe to your newsletter or social channels we can connect with you on, let us know the best place to find you. So I have a podcast, Both Mm -hmm. And, with Bessie Graham. So if people just want to sit with these ideas a little longer and think about what it might look like in their own business, that's a great place to start. As you said, the website, or you can find me on LinkedIn, Bessie Graham, or Instagram, Bessie Graham as well. And happy for people to then just message me directly and and have a chat if, if this is something that you are trying to figure out what does it look like for your business. Outstanding. Outstanding. Bessie, really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much. All right. Hey, thanks for watching to the end of the video. There's just a couple of things that I need from you right now. Number one is I need you to subscribe. If you're not already a subscriber to the channel, please hit the subscribe button and turn notifications on. That way you will know every time I publish new content. Number two, comment. Share your thoughts. I want to know what you did and didn't like. What should I make next? And number three, share this with your friends. Go on to Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn, wherever you uh, you hang out socially, and then post a link to this video and let people know what you liked about it and make sure to tag me. And then what I would also like to do is I would like to offer you the most incredible free gift ever. And this is related to my business where I help other businesses reduce their contract related costs. If you are a decision maker in a business, then I want to talk with you to see about how we can address your contract costs and drive savings. If you know somebody who is a business decision maker, then I would like you to help me get in contact with them. And in exchange, I am going to give you a absolutely free vacation at one of 30 places across the United States with no obligation and no timeshare pitch. Uh, The value of this, again, depending on how much savings we achieve, can literally be between thousands and millions. So anyway, just hit the button below for the most incredible free gift ever. Make sure to subscribe, share, and comment, and watch the next video because I'll be at you with more.